Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Open in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. This morning we're going to pick up our, um, our study of the biography of Jesus from Mark. And we've seen that he's on mission. He's on mission. And his mi- mission is to preach the good news of, uh, of the kingdom, that the kingdom has begun, that the king has arrived. And this is good news. And everywhere Jesus goes throughout his three years of ministry, when he goes preaching the good news, this is the good news he's preaching. The kingdom is here. The kingdom has begun. The king has arrived. And he illustrates the, the goodness of the kingdom everywhere he goes by, by healing people, healing the sick, and, and even raising the dead at some point. But he's doing all these wonderful things to talk about the goodness of the kingdom. Last week we saw that Jesus left Capernaum. Remember, he got up early in the morning to spend some time with God. And then when Peter and them says, hey, we got a whole bunch of people at the front door, he says, hey, we're going out the back door and we're going to go to all these other villages and we're going to, we're going to preach this good news uh, of the kingdom. We get to chapter two, verse one, Jesus has, is coming back to Capernaum. Uh, he's returning and he's at a house and there's so many people there to watch him at the house or talk to him at the house that you can't really get, get near. So to this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to go through verse 17 of chapter two. And I, what I hope to do is I hope to share, you, share with you three things that I believe we'll find illustrated in Jesus' life and his ministry. But there's three things that I think every one of us need. And uh, at the end of each of these, these points that I'm going to make, I'm going to tell you how, how to get the thing that you need from the Lord. So that's my plan. Three things we need illustrated by the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and, then, and then how you and I can obtain these, these three things. So let's begin chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Jesus. And when they had made an opening, they let down, let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. I actually use the story in one of the earlier weeks in Mark. I used it as an illustration of a, of a different point. Uh, but we've come, we've come to this story actually in Mark's gospel. And uh, you'll remember last week, Jesus heals a leper, and the guy with leprosy, and he tells him, don't tell anybody. Well, the, the man can't help himself, and he tells everybody. And what ends up happening is Jesus becomes so popular, so wanted, that everywhere he goes, there, there's just such a crowd. And we find that here. He's come back to Capernaum. He's in a house. The crowd is so large that when this, this paralyzed man comes uh, with his friends to see Jesus, the crowd prevents him from getting in. Now, here's my first point, right? Here's the first thing that we need. We all need friends like his. 
Oh, you're going to think, well, that's just kind of hokey, Jimmy. And it is incidental to the story, I will, I will grant you. But there's never a time that I read the story or remember it or recount it that this aspect of the story doesn't kind of grip my heart. And that is the relationship of this man to his friends or the love of his friends or the commitment of his friends to this paralytic man. And I, I want to suggest to us all this morning that all of us need friends like this man had. And here's what I mean. We all need friends that see our need and are willing to give themselves themselves to help meet our need. We all need friends like that. Their friend was paralyzed. Where he came from, we don't know. How far they had to carry him, we, we don't know. But there was no Uber back then, so there was no Uber driver to, to bring him. And, and even if there had been Uber drivers, who's going to get him in to the house if he's paralyzed? He gets in the car, but he's going to... My point is, he had to rely on his friends to get him there. I, uh, there was a time in my life where I was listening to a lot of country music. I don't know whether I should be proud of that or not so proud of that, but one of my favorite songs when I was listening pretty regularly to, to country music was one by Tracy Lawrence, and I've actually shared this song with you before. It's about friendship, and here's the lyrics to it. It goes like this. Run your car off the side of the road, get stuck in a ditch way out in the middle of nowhere, get yourself in a bind, lose the shirt off your back, need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the cream is going to rise. This is what you really didn't know. This is where the truth don't lie. You find out who your friends are. Somebody's going to drop everything, run out and crank up their car, hit the gas, get there fast, never stop to think, what's in it for me? Or this is way too far. They just show up, uh, show on up with their big old heart. You find out who your friends are. And then that's what this guy had. He had friends who were just willing to, uh, to care for him. They were the guys who showed up when he had a need. So let me just ask you. I mean, this is a rhetorical question. Don't answer it. But do you got friends like that? you got friends who will show up uh, when you need them? Here's the second thing about his friends that kind of stood out to me. They weren't friends to give up easy. They didn't give up easy. I mean, they got him to the door, and they couldn't get him to the door because there was too many people and, uh, but they didn't stop there. A lot of times we'll have friends that they'll go this far, <laughs> you know, but they, they really won't go all the way for us. They, they really won't hang in there with us because if the cost gets too great. Well, that's not these friends. These friends were the ones that went all the way. What I mean by that is when they couldn't get in through the front door, it says they went up on the roof. They're not deterred by the crowds and they dug a hole in the roof. Now, how many of you thought about this? Who paid for the damage to the roof? I mean, I've always thought of that. Who paid, to, who paid for the damage to the roof? Who's responsible for that? Well, I guess we could speculate and say, well, this paralytic, you know, he was a rich guy, so he paid for it. Listen, if you're paralyzed, I guess if you were born into money, you might have had money. We could speculate that. But I, I bet you the paralytic didn't have much money. But it really wouldn't matter. Who's responsible? His friends are. They're the ones who dug through the roof. They're the ones who would have been responsible for the damage. And, and my point is simply this. They didn't care. They didn't care. They wanted to get their friend to Jesus. And, uh, and so they went, they didn't give up easy. And we all need friends like this guy. We need friends that care for us, but then we need friends that don't give up on us easy. Here's the third thing I saw about these guys. They, they were determined to bring their friend to Jesus. And I thought, man, we all need friends like that. 
We need friends who are determined to bring us to Jesus. Now, obviously, circumstances are different, everyone. I can't take you to physical Jesus because he's not here anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, right? So he, I can't take you to him physically anymore, but I can, I can, in a sense, spiritually take you to Jesus. I can introduce you to him. If you don't know him, I can introduce you to him so that you could get to know him. And furthermore, if, even if I can't introduce you to him because you don't really want to go along with me to meet him spiritually, right, I can still take you to Jesus in my prayers. I can, you know, we, we can have friends that will still take us to Jesus in their prayers. I, I, I appreciate, so many of you will say to me, and I'm sure it's because of my position as a pastor, but, but I do, even people, it's not just my position as a pastor. Some people say, Jimmy, I, I pray for you all the time. And I appreciate that. I think they're doing that because, well, obviously I'm going to be honest and say it has to do with my position. But I think a lot of them are just praying for me because they're the kind of friend who's going to take me to Jesus regardless of whether I have this role in the future or not. And uh, so the paralytics' efforts were resisted by the crowd. I mean, excuse me, the, par- the friends' efforts were resisted by the crowds. I think sometimes our efforts to take people to Jesus can, can be resisted by, by others, especially if we're talking about praying, taking them to Jesus in prayer. Because, I mean, remember in the, in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament? Uh, Daniel, there's a, there's a story there where Daniel prays for something. When the answer comes, I think 14 days later, the, the angel who's answering the request of David, I mean, Daniel says, hey, I was commissioned right away, but I was resisted. I was resisted in getting here till now. So I, I think there can be resistance to our prayers. So friends, friends bring their friends to Jesus, either by praying, introducing them to him spiritually. That's the kind of friends we need. And the last thing, and I go, I, I recognize this is kind of trite, but it's still, I think it's still part of the story. We all need friends who are filled with faith in Jesus because that's the kind of friend this guy had, right? And you say, well, where do you see that? Well, because when they're lowering him down through the hole and Jesus is looking up, look at what it says in the text. It says, and seeing what? There, there, right, plural, their faith. Not just the faith of the paralytic, but the faith of the, of the friends. And actually the faith of the paralytic would have never got him there. It was the faith of the, of the friends that got him there because they're the ones, and it goes back to their love for, for their friend. But it's, it's their faith that got him there. We need friends who are filled with faith. We do. All of us need friends like that. Not, not necessarily filled with, with foolishness or fear or self-indulgent. We need friends who are filled with faith. Now, I said I was going to tell you how you could get a friend like that. I'm going to tell you how to get a friend like that, okay? Y'all ready for this? Here it is. Here's how you get a friend like that. Anybody know what I'm going to say? (laughs) You all know what I'm going to say. You got to be a friend like that. I mean, isn't it obvious? If you want a friend like that, you got to be a friend like that. So if you want a friend who's going to be there for you, then be a friend who's there for your friends, If you want a friend who's going to go the extra mile, not quit on you at some point down the road because it gets too much, then you be the friend that doesn't quit on your friends because it gets to be a little too much. You be that friend like that that goes the extra mile. If you want a friend who carries you to Jesus when when you can't carry yourself and you want a friend like that, then you be that kind of friend. You carry your friends to Jesus. So, So if you've got a friend who doesn't know Jesus... 
who, who doesn't love Jesus, who maybe has never even been introduced to Jesus, you be the friend that introduces them to Jesus. You, you be the friend who tells them about your friend Jesus. Or you be the friend that carries them to Jesus in prayer. Be that kind of friend. Or you be the friend, or not or, and you be the friend who's filled with faith. Who's filled with faith so that when your friend's faith is running weak and you know they're being pummeled by all kinds of hurt and trials in their life and their faith is just, I mean, they're feeling the effects of being beat up your faith is what's being poured into them because you got that faith, right? So again, I recognize it's, it's somewhat, you know, not really part of the story, but it, but it is part of the story. And if you want that kind of friend like this man had, then you be that kind of friend. All right. So Jesus, seeing the faith of his friends and the paralytic, he says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And here's the second thing we need. We need the forgiveness. We need a forgiveness like his, or we need the forgiveness of this man, the same forgiveness he got, we need it. Verse six, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. That means he's, he's speaking bad against God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they are thus questioning within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So he doesn't actually hear them. He just perceives that this is what they're murmuring under their breath. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So it's funny, he came for legs, but he got forgiveness, right? Got legs too, but he, he got forgiveness. And uh, when he pronounces this man forgiven, the people in the room, especially the religious people, said that he doesn't have the right to do that. And they murmur under their breath, right? He, he can't do that. He Only God can do that. And what they miss is that there's a sense in which Jesus is actually claiming to be God here. So if you didn't know that, Man, that, this, that, hey, I want to I reveal something to you. Jesus kind of made it clear all throughout his ministry that he was God. In fact, that's one of the tenets of, of what we believe about Jesus, that he was God become a person like us, right? He became human. And so he didn't, he didn't release or lose his divinity, but he became human like us. And this is the claim that he's making. So he asked them this question, and it's somewhat rhetorical, but he asked them the question, hey guys, what's easier, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or, or get up and walk? And the answer is obvious, right? The easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven because nobody can prove whether you're really forgiven their sins or not. But what, you know, what's harder to say is get up and walk because you either get up and walk or you don't. And then he says, so that you might know that I can forgive sins because both of these are things that God, only God can do. Only God can forgive sins. And only God can make people walk who are lame. And he said, so that you may know that I'm God, he says, he says to the man, get him walk. And of course the man gets up and walks and, and leaves. I've often wondered about that. I've actually, I, I thought, I spent some minutes thinking about that. Would you want to leave after that? 
But then I thought, man, you, you were paralyzed and now you could walk. I think you'd want to get out of there as quick as you could to go find your, your wife, your kids, or whoever and say, look, I'm walking, I'm walking. So, so anyway, he leaves and everyone is amazed and I'm sure it's including the people that were murmuring against Jesus. The paralytic got his legs, but he also got the forgiveness of God. And we all need forgiveness like his. So to help us understand why we need a forgiveness like his, I was going to answer four questions this morning. What is forgiveness? And then I was going to ask, whose forgiveness do we need? And then why do we need God's forgiveness? And how do I get God's forgiveness today? Well, that second question, whose forgiveness do we need? You know, I was simply going to say there, um, we need everybody that we've offended. So I'm, I'm, I'm removing them. I'm going to answer three questions. Why is forget, what is forgiveness? Why do we need God's forgiveness? And how do I get forgiveness today? So let's start with what is forgiveness. The word forgive means to wipe the slate clean. It means to pardon. It means to cancel a debt. So when we've wronged someone or hurt someone or wounded someone so as to break a relationship or we've broken the relationship, setting up this possible separation between us and, and someone else, forgiveness is that person's willingness to absorb the hurt that we've caused and to, instead of letting it break the relationship, they cancel out that hurt. They're willing to absorb that hurt uh, and, they, and they forgive us. They cancel that hurt. They, they don't hold it against us and they let it, they let the relationship heal. Forgiveness isn't granted because we deserve it. Forgiveness is granted because someone is loving and merciful and gracious. That's why, that's why forgiveness is given. Somebody, somebody wants to do that, who wants to restore. We'll skip the next question if you're following in your bulletin. But the, the, the next question is, why do I need God's forgiveness? And so I've got, two, I've got two answers to this question. The first one is this. Quite simply, because my heart... And my actions have been contrary to God's desires. So my actions have been injurious to, injurious, excuse me, injurious to my relationship with God. So what I said a minute ago about for, we need forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is someone not, not holding my debt over me, but releasing me of the debt of hurt that I've caused against them. We've all been injurious to God. We've all injured our relationship with God. We've all sinned or hurt God. Now, the Bible says we've all sinned, where sin is to miss the mark, and it means we've missed the mark of God's desires for our life. Sin is anything that goes against God's will for us. And that could be doing something that's forbidden, or it could be not doing something that God desires of us. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So my actions, by my actions, I have injured my relationship with God. All of us have. And what happens as a result of that, here, here's Isaiah kind of putting it in, in writing for us. He says, my sins have made a separation between me and my God. And so what's happened when I've disobeyed God, when I've fallen short of God's expectations and desires for me, whether by actively doing what's wrong or maybe not doing what's right. So it causes there to be this, this relational break between us and God. And, and it makes us want to hide from God. It fills us with shame. So in the very beginning of your Bibles, Adam and Eve, when they sin against God, you know what they do, right? They run and they hide from God. They, they camp out in the bushes. So when God comes and he says, hey guys, where are you? And they said, 
we're over here hiding. Well, you know, why are you hiding? Because we've done what you didn't want us to do. So sin relationally separates us from God. It makes us, instead of wanting to seek God, by the way, which is how we please the Lord, it, doesn't make us, it makes us to want to ignore God, to run from him. Romans says we suppress, so many of us suppress the truth of God because we, we want to run from our, our sin. But we need God's forgiveness for an even greater reason. And let me, let me tell you why I think we need, a greater, we need it for a greater reason than this. Because many people live their lives separated from God. Think about it. I mean, I want to say much of the world, most of the world, lives relationally separated from God. They're not interested in God. They don't care about God. They don't care that their actions or desires have uh, have hurt the Lord. They don't care. So they live separated from God relationally and with no desire to reconcile. They could care less. So I think the second reason as to why we need God's forgiveness is even greater, in my opinion anyway. And it's this, because the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins is going to die. We die because of our sin. We die because we've sinned against the Lord. When Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. God said, hey, the, the wages of your sin, what's going to happen is you're going to die. And sure enough, they did. They died. We die because of our sin. And if we die unforgiven by God, our death will be permanent. We'll be forever cut off from life and, and God and all that is good. We'll never know and experience all that God has planned for those who love him. We'll never be given immortality or joy of a resurrected life without sin because we're gonna die. We can define exactly what happens in that death, but my point is, you know, right now, people are relationally separated from God, but there's an opportunity for people to be restored now. But there's coming a day where that opportunity ends and we die. And you have an opportunity now to respond to God and, and to be forgiven by the Lord. But hey, you need God's forgiveness now because there is, a, there is an expiration date to that offer of grace. So how do I get the forgiveness of God today? Remember, I'm, I'm answering that question. How do I get the forgiveness of God? All right, how, did you know that God is loving and merciful and eager to forgive us our sins? Did you know that? That's one of the things the Bible makes really, really clear. God is, is gracious and desiring to forgive our sins. Here's 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, Peter says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God desires to forgive us all. And in fact, Jesus came because God desires to forgive us all. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God grants forgiveness to everyone who seeks him. And since Jesus is God, God grants forgiveness to everyone who seeks the Lord through the Lord Jesus. He gives us, uh, gives us forgiveness of our sin through the Lord Jesus when we seek him. You and I need the forgiveness of the paralytic and the way to get it is simply to come to Jesus and seek it. So how, how do we seek this forgiveness from Jesus? Well, we repent is what Peter said. Let me go back and read the verse again. Peter says he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so how do I seek forgiveness from the Lord? Well, I repent. I change my mind. I confess my sins. I say, God, I desire you. I, I, want, I want 
your forgiveness. I want to be restored in relationship with you. I want to have the eternal life that you're promising. I, I want that. And that's, it's just that easy, guys. It's just that easy. I mean, it, it costs us a lot to say, Lord, I'm, I'm wrong and I want to, you to forgive me and I want to follow you. But it, it's really simple. We just simply come in faith and we say, Lord, forgive us. And he will. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a few moments. But let me continue on. So that day, Jesus became the man's savior, became the man's, I would say he became the man's king and part of his kingdom. He saved him from his paralysis and he saved him from uh, his sins and the effects of his sins. So I want to end today by saying, here's the third thing that we need. We need a savior or we need a king like Jesus, like his, like his Jesus. We need a savior like his, we need a king like his After this wonderful day in Capernaum, we learn more about Jesus. Look at verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." You know, I don't know that Mark is putting these passages here together like this, but I think this is kind of an illustration of the Jesus who forgives sins as he forgave the paralytic. We need this savior, this Jesus. So look at the text with me. Levi, his name is also Matthew in other biographies. He was a tax collector. And Jesus one day is walking, he, I'm assuming this is soon after the paralytic incident, he's walking out by the beach teaching, he walks by Matthew's tax collecting booth and he invites Matthew to follow him or Levi to follow him. Is this Matthew's first exposure to Jesus? I mean, we don't know, but I seriously doubt it. I would imagine that just like the other disciples, Matthew's heard Jesus, who knows, maybe even talked to him. But um, Matthew leaves tax collecting to become a collector of men. And that night, the other biographies tell us that Matthew threw a party for all his friends. Mark doesn't tell us that. It just, it just, it just tells us he's eating with Matthew's friends. And, but Matthew threw a party for his friends to introduce them to Jesus. And Jesus is the guest of honor. And the other religious people are coming by and they're watching this. And they're, and they're appalled by what they're seeing. How can Jesus hang out with this group of people? And Jesus didn't care what they thought. And from this exchange, let me show you a few things about Jesus, this King and this Savior that I believe you need and that I need and we all need. First one was this. Jesus is a Savior or a King who takes the initiative. It wasn't Matthew who sought out after Jesus. It was Jesus who sought Matthew. And yes, the paralytic came looking for Jesus, but it was only after Jesus was making it clear that he was out there to help and heal people who needed him. There's something about our king that I want you to recognize. It's he's seeking us out. He's the one who's taking the initiative. And remember we talked about forgiveness, right? And we said forgiveness is the willingness to overlook 
or not overlook, but to absorb the hurt and, and forgive and not hold that person accountable for how they hurt us. Normally, when I hurt somebody, it's my responsibility to go and fix what I've done. It's my responsibility to go and seek forgiveness. In this case, what I want you to see is that Jesus He's the one that came looking for us. He wants to fix the broken relationship. He wants to heal that. He's ready to forgive. And he's going to people and he's saying, hey, are you willing to recognize what's going on here? What's happened? How you've, how you've hurt me? Are you willing to do that? I want to reconcile with you. He's taking the initiative. Listen, folks, um, it's always been Jesus taking the initiative. Always been him from the being, always been God taking the initiative for us. You and I can't call the president, right? But that doesn't mean the president can't call me. And you and I can't show up at his door and ring his doorbell and expect him to come to the door and, and invite me in for tea, right? But I guarantee if he came to your house and rung the doorbell, most of us, anyone, would let him in and give him some tea or, or whatever, right? So it's just because... I can't reach the president doesn't mean the president can't reach me. And the same thing's true with God, our creator. I mean, I might not be able to reach to the creator, but the creator has reached out to me. He's taken the initiative for me. He's the one who's reached out for me. Here's the second thing about this king and savior that you and I need. Uh, he sees potential where others only see failure. So here's, here's Matthew, right? And I'm speculating here, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm thinking maybe Matthew's thought of following Jesus. I mean, it doesn't ever say that, but maybe he's, now if you watch The Chosen, <laughs> if you watch The Chosen, that's, that's kind of what they build that in there. But, but even apart from The Chosen, I mean, I've had this thought, but maybe Matthew wanted to follow Jesus, but this was his thought. I'm too broken. I'm, I'm too much, I'm a tax collector. I'm a failure, right? Although it didn't stop Zacchaeus. So, you know, but if Matthew didn't think it, other people thought it. They would have thought that Levi, Matthew, was too far gone, that he was too much of a broken, sinful man for God to ever love. And, and the point I want you to see about this second story about God's forgiveness is that when it comes to Jesus as our Savior and our King, no, one's, no one is, uh, he sees potential in every one of us. You know, some suggest the Bible teaches that God only wants some of us, Maybe just even a few of us. Um, we don't know who he wants, but he wants different kinds of people from different groups, but doesn't really want all of us. I want you to know I disagree. I disagree. I think this story speaks to that. Jesus is a savior who desires the whole world to be reconciled to him. And there's not a single person that with all the confidence in the world, I couldn't look them straight in the eye and I could say to them, God loves you and God wants you and God desires for you to receive his forgiveness. Here's, here's, here's a verse. I know I'm proof texting verses here. But for this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Here's another one from Peter. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Pharisees looked and they said, man, there's people that God doesn't want. But Jesus, I think, is saying there's not anyone that God doesn't want. There's not anyone that God doesn't desire for them to turn to him in repentance. That brings me to the third thing about the king that I see. This king is someone who's willing to share his life with anyone and everyone who wants it. 
anyone and everyone who wants it. Maybe this is a corollary truth of what I just said, but Jesus is willing to break bread with whoever you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. Jesus, he's willing to break bread with you. When other people cut themselves off from people they considered undesirable and that people that God would not want, that was not Jesus. Jesus was actually going and, and hanging out with them and, and, and introducing himself to them and telling them about, about his kingdom, no matter how undeserving they were. In Revelation, Jesus has these words to one of the seven churches at the, in the book of Revelation. And we, we quote it a lot. We probably quote it out of context but the because con- the context is discipline. But here's what Jesus said. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Like I said, in the context is discipline there, but I think we can apply that and say that Jesus is, is knocking on everyone's door. He wants to, if you'll let him, he'll come in and he'll sup with you. He'll eat with you. He'll introduce himself to you. You know, folks, listen, we, we've got to not have this mindset that people are somehow unreachable for God. So back in the 1990s, President Bill Clinton had that uh, affair with Monica Lewinsky. Those of us that are old, you'll remember that. You'll remember, some of you might not know who President Clinton was, but anyway. But he, you know, he had this, he had this fall, and it was a real mess back in the, in the 90s. It was a real mess. Um, and the White House reached out to Gordon McDonald. Gordon McDonald was a pastor in the Northeast. He was an evangelical pastor. And, um, and he, he, um, he's in his 80s now, probably close to upper 80s. But they reached out to him and two other men, and they said, President Clinton was wondering if you'd come meet with him. And Gordon McDonald and those two other men did. And someone was interviewing him later on, and they said, you know what? You know, what was your thoughts on that back then? This is what, this is what Pastor McDonald said. He said, well, there were some ups, upsides and some downsides to that. Uh, the main downside was as soon as it got out that we were meeting with former President Clinton, the larger evangelical community condemned all three of us. People in my church condemned me for doing that. People in my family condemned me and said they didn't want to be around me anymore. You know, I was just trying to get a guy that was really, really tangled up and get him untangled and get him on the path to redemption. You know, we don't need to be scared, everyone, of engaging people who are far from God. And we don't need to be scared of engaging people whose moral values are not ours. And we don't need to be scared of engaging people who fall and stumble, you know, and, and, and they need help. We don't need to be scared of even, of even engaging people who are rejecting Jesus because if we're not the salt and light, if we're not the people who are trying to say, let me tell you about Jesus, introduce them to Jesus, who's gonna bring them to Jesus if it's not us? I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, I shouldn't even do this, but I feel like I have to. So we say, but what if, but what if? Yeah, there's a lot of what ifs that could go wrong. But at some point, I just feel like God's just telling us to be the people. That's who Jesus was. When all the other religious people were saying, don't care, don't get involved. Listen, they're too far gone. Jesus wasn't that person. And he's the kind of king and savior all of us need because there's none of us that are too far gone. 
And, and there's none of us that he's not willing to share life with so that he might introduce himself to them. And I think we need to be that way too. And that kind of brings me to my last one. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, Jimmy, these are all just corollaries of the same thing. And maybe they are. But my last thing was, no one's too broken for Jesus. No one's too broken for the Lord to redeem him and to save him and to rescue him and to transform him. When Jesus hears what the religious leaders are saying, and again, I, I think this is probably true. You know, there was courtyards and you had a gate and, and they're probably meeting in the courtyard outside for this dinner. And so the Pharisees are outside the gate. And so when Jesus hears them talking about why is Jesus meeting with these tax collectors and sinners. He walks over to the gate and he says this to them. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And he takes a common sense observation and he, and he applies it to his mission. He said, only sick people need a doctor. The well people, they don't need a doctor. I, I didn't come for well people. I came for sick people. I came for broken people. I, I came to help people infected by the disease of sin, if you would, but to have their relationship cut off with God on their way to death and permanent separation from God. He said, I, I've come for them. Now, the Pharisees, you know, in this, in this thing that Jesus says, the Pharisees are the righteous, but he doesn't really mean that. Jesus isn't trying to say you guys are, he's trying to say you guys are so self-delusioned, you can't see your own, the own tangles of your sin. You can't see your own sin. All you see is someone else's sin. They're the guys, they're the ones that are far from God. Jesus is saying, man, I came for anyone who sees himself far from God and who wants to, who wants to find his way to God. I came, I came for them. And my thought on this is no one's too broken for our king. The kingdom of God is not so highfalutin and so high mighty that whoever you are, no matter how broken you are, God wants to reconcile you to, he wants to forgive you and transform you and become your king. And he'll forgive you instantaneously, everyone. Instantaneously, he'll forgive you. And instantaneously, he'll give you a new heart. And instantaneously, he'll give you the spirit of God to dwell within you and to help you, okay, but that doesn't mean that transformation's overnight. He may deliver you immediately. He may set you free from some addiction. He may set you free from anger or alcohol or you name it. He may do that instantaneously for you. But for, for most of us, it's learning to live day by day, dependent on him and letting him change you over the course of your lifetime into being like him. But he's going to change you and he's never going to leave you and he's not going to forsake you and he wants to forgive your sins and you are not too broken. So if you think you're too broken here this morning for God to ever love you or if you happen to be watching later on on our live stream and you think you're too broken, you're wrong. You're not too broken. So that's it. Those are the three things you need. How do you get Jesus as your savior? Did I talk about that? How do you get Jesus as your Savior? I think I talked about it. You just, you just come to him and you say, I, I want to follow you, Jesus. I recognize my need. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to forgive me. And he will. And he will. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. 
Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.